Well, we come to chapter 15 uh, and verse 9 this morning. We are in a uh, study of the entire book of John that has brought us to the last few days of the life of Jesus Christ. Chapter 14 was probably spoken in the upper room. It was more of a dialogue of all Jesus said he was going to do. I will come to you. I will send the Holy Spirit to you. All that he's going to do. And as they leave that upper room and walk down into the night, the night that he would be betrayed, as they walk through the Garden of Gethsemane together, the dialogue becomes a monologue. As he begins to speak in terms as if it is all done, although the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit has not happened yet. The life of Jesus has not infused these men, and yet he speaks as one who is finished, and it is done, and chapter 15 is all about the monologue of the abiding Christ within. Now, numbers are important in the Bible. Um, It's a fascinating study to do a study about numbers and their significance in the Bible. We're going to do four of them today to help you understand where we are in chapter 15. It'll tie in, and you'll see it in a minute. Number one is a number that is um, not dividable by itself. It is unity. It is a oneness. It is a primal number. It is the number for God. One of the first things a Jewish child was taught at a young age is to quote the verse, The Lord our God is one. God is one. Three is the number, uh, it seems to be in Scripture, of God moving toward mankind. Of God in His relationship with mankind. Because now you have the Trinitarian Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the creation of man as a triune creation with body, soul, and spirit. The first three patriarchs pre-flood are Abel, Enoch, and Noah. After the flood there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Threes are all God's expression as he expresses himself toward mankind. Get that down in your mind firmly, if you will. Threes are stamped all over the redemptive plan. Six, you might know, is the number for man. And before you draw back and think that's a bad number, it's not. It's when you do it three times that it becomes bad. Six is the number for man. We were created on the sixth day. Now the number six is one short of seven. We're going to go at this slowly. Seven is God's number for divine completion. There are seven days in a week. and the seventh day he rested. It is the number for divine, whatever God does, it's complete and perfect. The number seven is all stamped through the book of Revelation. Because in the end, it's all going to be perfect and complete. So man is one less than seven. 
Well, take the one, which is God, put it to six, and it becomes divine completion. Man is incomplete without God. We just are. And no matter how mankind tries to pull it off, and tries to create, I was watching a show of young people, it was a huge rally in a coliseum. And in that coliseum, the statements were, this is a new generation. This is, we have forgotten all the rules of the old. We're going to recreate mankind. My thought, and I said to Karen, I said, there's one problem you're going to take into that next generation, what was in the past generation, and that is sin. Incomplete without God. Uh, helping Karen out at her school last week, I came across this plaque that was on one of the doors of the teacher. Small for you to read, I'll read it for you. This was on the plaque of a teacher's door at Karen's new school. It says this, As the result of four billion years of evolution, I'm sorry, let me read it again. As the result of four billion years of evolutionary process, your behavior should reflect that. Now, it's a funny phrase, is it not? You had four billion years in their mind to get it right. You should behave. I guarantee the kids will walk right by that and misbehave in that classroom. What do you think? All right, back to our numbers. Yes, back to our numbers. Get a little dizzy there. Back to our numbers. One is God. Three is God's movement toward mankind. Six is man. Seven is God plus man, which is, perf- which is divine completion in our souls. When you get to the New Testament, and Jesus refers to the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 15, he's going to specifically talk about three of them. It's the same three that God wants to complete you with out of the book of Galatians. It is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. This is the result of six plus one. Peace within the soul. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. And you'll see today the abiding love and the joy that he wants to leave us with. Go to John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so in the very same way, with the same intensity, I have loved you. Put that in your basket and carry it around for a while. And before long, you'll be on shouting ground. It doesn't say that he loves you. It said that he has loved you. With the same love that the Father has toward the Son. He has never not loved the Son. There was never never a time when the Father didn't love the Son. In our minds, we can't go on beyond a starting point. It's just impossible for finite creatures. 
You have always been in the heart of God from all eternity. There was never a moment in time where God fell in love with you. I asked Karen last week, when did you know that you loved me? There was a long pause. (laughs) So long that I began to wonder if she did. She said, you know, it was the time you went away overseas. She didn't enjoy me going overseas. She missed me. She said, when you went overseas, I realized that I loved you deeply. Now, we'd been engaged seven months at that point. I said, oh, so you committed to marry me and spend the rest of your life with me with a quasi kind of, I think I love him. She said, basically, that's true. (laughs) But we do that. We have a starting place. Child comes into the home and within moments of birth, even before birth, you begin to love that child. God has never started loving you. He has loved you for all eternity past. He will love you for all eternity future with a love that is infinite, that cannot be calculated on a scale. He loves you with a hot, red intensity that has always been there. It is immeasurable. It does not fluctuate with your behavior. Whether you let him down or fail or sin, the most horrid sin, his love never backs off of you. As the Father hath loved me, notice I have loved you. Now we move on to ground that is interesting. He says, abide in my love. Live in it. Come home with it. Take it home. Live every moment in the sense of my love. Not your love for him, his love for you. Forget completely any love that you have for him. The great lover of God is Jesus Christ who lives within your soul. Enjoy his love and his love alone. You'll find yourself responding. But the moment you look at that responding love that you have back toward him, it will begin to wither on the vine. Abide, live, recline in my love. You wonder why I brought the chair. I'll show you. I am getting tired of this, you know, so I need to rest. This, this is the best way I can explain to you of reclining, abiding. That's so relaxing. Oh, there it is. I'll see you later. All weight is off. All pressure is off. Everything distracting me is off. Abide in that love. Rest. Kick your feet up. Well, notice uh, it goes on in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Well, here we are. Most of us default back to law-based minds. It almost appears as though it's saying the way that you keep his love is to do what he says. 
Notice what it does not say. It does not say if, if you do the commandments, you can keep my love. The love is never pulled back. He says, then you will abide. Because even though God loves you intently with all the love that you can't even imagine, you will benefit nothing unless you choose to abide in that love. The word keep means to watch with the eye against loss or damage. It means something that was given to you that you so highly value that you don't let it go. It isn't that you're doing something. It's the whole fabric of the life that so values what he has said and what he does say to you all the time that it's, it's the keynote of your life. It's your knee-jerk reaction in life that no matter what happens... Your first reaction is to look to Him, listen to Him, follow Him. Be so caught up in a relationship of love with Him that He is your main and only focus. You're not looking to somebody else. You're not looking to yourself. You're not looking to circumstances. God is the environment that you swim around. Like a fish in the water, you swim surrounded by His love, surrounded by His presence. It's keeping the commandment. It's not, oh, I've got to do this and do that. and do. You're, you get that law-based mentality of, oh, I've got to find out what he wants me to do and I'll do the list. Normally those, normally those lists come from men. I'm greatly encouraged as I thought about this this week that Jesus broke most of the religious rules of the day. I'm encouraged by that. He was constantly getting in trouble with the religious people because he broke their list. So it isn't about what men give you to do. It's about being so involved in a relationship, so abiding in Him, abiding in His love, the choice you have to take your faith and plant it in Jesus Christ, not in your circumstances, not in other people, that all that He says to you to do, you naturally, normally do it. Because look at the next phrase. Look at the next phrase. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment, and I abide in His love. We just want the list. We want a textbook. We want something we can check off. When Jesus walked in this world, He walked touching the lost, healing the sick, ministering to people. I doubt He got up every day with a plan of the day. It just unfolded before Him as Father guided Him. He said at the end, back in chapter 14, that Satan has come, the prince of this world is coming. He has nothing in me at all. He is not in charge of my crucifixion. I'm going voluntarily as obedience to the command of my Father. He was so in tune, abiding in his love, that he knew what the mind of God was, and he did it regardless. Whether men understood him or not, he did it. Notice as we go on in verse 11. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be full. Back to our numbers. Three. Love joy, peace. Three, 
Man is six. Three plus three is six. God's movement of these three fruits of the Spirit is doubled over for you. Do you understand? His movement toward you as six as a man is double joy and double peace. Peace, peace, and double love. Filled up, running over. That's why I never understood in all the years I sat in legalistic churches how miserable I was to be in those things. Occasionally getting blessed by this or that, but inwardly having no love for others, no peace that passeth all understanding, and no joy that could not be explained. Notice, this is my commandment. We don't have to guess. Here it is. That you love one another. You don't have to fill in the blank of how you're supposed to do that. Notice he says, as I have loved you. Uh, Just do the math. That's a pretty tall order. In fact, that's a pretty impossible order for you and I. If God the Father loves Jesus the Son from all eternity with an intensity that is immeasurable, and He loves us with that very same love, He turns us toward one another and says, with that very love, with the love that I have for you, that is the love you are to have for one another. (laughs) Makes Makes your head ache, doesn't it? So go out next week and give that a try. In the words of Dr. Phil, how is that working out for you? It can't. There's a necessity to receive the love of Jesus Christ before I can love anyone into that intensity. Let's let's finish on through verse 17. Greater love has has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the love I'm talking about, Jesus says, that is sacrificial to the point of laying the life down in death. It's what he did for you and what he works in your life to others. You are my friends. The evidence of you being my friends is that you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known unto you. This isn't, look, this isn't just to the disciples as he spoke to them. This is us. We are his friends. He makes known to us his will. He speaks to us in our spirit and through his word how we are to live this life. This entire world is going helter-skelter in a handbasket. It is swirling around and confused. They don't know what's going on. We do. All that the Father is doing in this world, we know. 
He reveals it to us. Isn't that beautiful? You get so tied up with the things of this world and the situations of this world, you know there's a bigger world out there and this is His world. Verse 16. You, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Oh, Lord. I think I'll just stop there. We didn't choose him. He chose you. None of us will ever know why he chose us to set his love upon us. That takes all the pressure off of me. Lord, you, you knew what you were getting when you got me. You knew what you were getting when you got me. You chose me. I'm just going to rest. I'm going to relax. I'm going to recline. I'm going to kick my feet up spiritually, and I'm going to abide in that love. I'm going to enjoy the peace that you said was mine. I'm going to believe that the joy that you've given to me lives in my soul. We go through tribulations. We go through struggles. We... Get in the chair and just rest. Now, Jesus was very busy in ministry, wasn't lazy. He worked ministry, but he did it from the position of a reclining chair, knowing that his father loved him and orchestrated it all and pulled it all off. And he calls us friends, and then he chooses us. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Let that feed your soul. Let that be the word spoken to your soul. That you have these things. You have him. And he knew what he was getting when he chose you. To keep is to highly value and to listen intently to his guidance and direction in life. That's what it means to keep the commandments. It's not the list you check off. Definitely not the list religion gives you. It's more intense than that. It's the intensity of a relationship that's so tied up with you that you lose yourself in that relationship and the six becomes a seven. The six becomes a seven. The reason you're dried up and discouraged is because you're a six. Actually, around here we tell you you're a ten, so I don't know how we all pull that off. <laughs> to keep... To keep the commandments is to so highly value and listen intently to Him. I care more about what He thinks than anyone or myself. Amen. Listen to Him. When I have a, a problem or an area of concern, my first reaction is this. What's going on? And what do we do from here? I have a question about direction in life. I don't run around and ask 12 brothers in Christ. I go to him. I might ask a counselor or two, but my main concern is him and what he wants. Do you think the one that made the tongue cannot speak to you? He talks all the time. Number two, to abide in his love is to believe, to believe in his care and his attention and that a not a hair of your head drops off that he does not know it. Amen. Not a sparrow falls 
to abide in his love is to believe that he in his care and attention no matter the circumstances. Abide. Years ago in the Chinese-Japanese war between the two, last century, early last century, the Japanese would be in armored tanks moving into the Chinese inland. Bullets ricocheting off the tank. They couldn't stop them. And finally the Chinese learned a tactic. They all pulled back and hid in the bushes, in, in the shrubbery, and in the trees. Complete utter silence as the Japanese tank whipped left and whipped left right and went back trying to find the Chinese. After a long period of time, the frustrated Japanese soldier would pop the top and look out and receive a Chinese bullet right in his forehead. Safety within the, within the tank. Abiding within the armor. But the minute, Christian, you poke your head up and you get out of that chair, you'll get a bullet right in, right in your head. Abide. How many times has this world jacked you up out of that chair pulled you up. No, you chose to. We chose. We choose to get out of the chair. Number three, to love is to seek the highest good of its object and to sacrifice everything for it. That's the love of God. When Jesus died on the cross, you know what we were doing? We were cursing him, shaking our fist at him. In our rejection, he died and sacrificed all for us. When the love of God is operating in you, you know it because there's a, you never keep the scorecard. You know the scorecard. I'm going to do this for you, and probably be nice if you did something for me. I'm going to do 12 things. I just need one or two things on the other side to keep me kind of even. I'm a very gracious person. It's still the scorecard. Husbands, wives, parents, how much, how, how, much, how much have you done for your kids? Have they ever really thanked you? Wouldn't you less like to wrap your little hands around their neck and choke them to death? <laughs> little ungrateful spirits. When the love of God is operating, there's no scorecard keeping. Okay? When the love of God is operating, you never count the cost. You never keep the scorecard it's the love of God operating in you. That's what Christ did for you, and that's the intensity of the love he's talking. You can't pull it off. You must concentrate on his love, for, abide in that love, and you will begin to love people like that. I just went to number four, and there is number, number four, so we're done. <laughs> love, joy, peace from the Heavenly Father based on what Christ has done for you. Chapter 15 is a, is a monologue because Jesus is talking and he's talking to his men as he walked through that garden and he's telling them, this is what it's going to look like in reality. That day is this day. And he lives in us. Abide in his love. Abide in his care. Go get in the chair. Go get in the chair. Lord Jesus, we're grateful and thankful for your mercy and kindness. We're thankful for the spoken truth that just as the Father has 
loved you, Lord, you have, with that very same love, loved us. And Lord, I don't know why it's so hard to believe that. Maybe we look at ourselves rather than you. But Father, help us to take that quantum leap today of faith and believe in the midst of all opposing odds that you love us like that. May we live our Christian lives in a position of busied repose, of active reclining, resting deeply in your love, abiding in your peace, experiencing the joy of that, and then watching how you work through us, and as we sit, we are amazed. I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior that they'd come today to know Christ. I pray for any other decisions that Christians, church members need to make in this place, at these altars today, that in this song of worship as we close our service out, that they would walk these aisles and come forward and pray or talk to me. Father, glorify yourself in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.